So this is the little moose unit west of Moosehead Lake. This belongs to the people of Maine. I like to call it Jenny's land. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like someday they're gonna name this after me because I I'm in it all the time. I I know it. I know it. Hey folks, welcome back to A Talk in the Woods. I'm Lily Horn. In this episode, I went back to Greenville to meet up with Jenny Board. Jenny works for the AMC. I'll let her tell you more about what she does, but like most people we've interviewed, she wears many hats and her connection to this place runs deep. We talked about Jenny's childhood experiences here, the importance of dark skies, and her upcoming trail running event in Utah. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Thanks, Jenny. So my name is Jenny Ward. I'm a resident of the Greenville region, the Moosehead Lake region. And uh, I work for the Appalachian Mountain Club as their main business and community relations manager. So that also allows me to carry some positions with organizations in the region. So I also volunteer for Destination Moosehead Lake and the Economic Development Corporation here. And also do volunteer work for the Allagash Wilderness Waterway Foundation and the, uh, the Piscataquis County Economic Development Corp as well. So it's great to have a position that allows you to volunteer and enrich organizations and the region as a whole. That sounds like a lot. A lot of different hats. Yeah. I like it. You were telling me on the way up, you grew up here, you spent most of your childhood here and then have spent most of your life here. And so what made you love this place and want to really contribute to it? I think anywhere you grow up, you have an affinity for, you have a, an affection for because it made you who you are. So I've got that. But I quickly found as I moved away and did other things that I kept coming back here. So it was clear that this is where my heart was and continues to be. And I've traveled all around the world and seen some amazing places, but none of them affected me like growing up here did. And I'm always amazed when I take people out onto the landscape, whether it's as part of my profession or I've got friends that have come up here for years, that me falling in love with it because I grew up here is special, but there are people that come from away that don't come from here that fall in love with it just as much as I do. And I think that's, that really speaks to the region and not so much about me growing up here, but just the way it affects people when they come here. Yeah, I think that's such a common theme in Maine. I feel like anywhere I go, I also, I was not born here, but have spent like my family moved here when I was in middle school, so I've been in Maine for a while. And anytime I tell someone that I'm from Maine, someone has a connection. They're like, oh, I used to go there in the summer. Like, oh, I went there one time. And just everyone has this real affinity for Maine. And I find it very interesting. And like you said, it's like there's some there's just something really special. <laughs> it is. a lot of people. Yeah, and people... Um people want to tell you about that connection. It's like a place of honor. If you've been to Maine or if you've experienced Maine uh, or have a relate, you know, a family member that lives in Maine, it's like people make it a point to really talk about it because I think they know that it's a cool place to either be from or love. And how do you think, this was something that Brian was specifically interested in um, hearing from you about, but how do you see people from away experiencing 
Maine differently than people who lived here? Well, I think that living in Maine isn't for everyone. And especially in this region, it can be really challenging. It can be really difficult. And I think for the people that are either from here or have lived here a long time, they really take for granted the amazing outdoor recreational opportunities that are here. And I think the youth struggle to get outside with those same pulls and draws to the inside as people who live in urban areas or outside the state do. And I think, you know, you just take it for granted after a while. I actually, I had somebody ask me about, you know, what my bucket list items were and with the acknowledging that there are some bucket list items here in this region. And I thought to myself, isn't that crazy that for me it's something that I do, oh, twice a summer or once a year. And for other people, it's like a lifetime goal. (laughs) And uh, that really, you know, every once in a while, that's what gives you the pinch and wakes you up and makes you look around and say, wow, I am so lucky. And yes, living here can be challenging, but the benefit so outweighs any challenges you come up against. And so it's great. I'm I'm, I'm always amazed when people come that aren't from here and they um, they donate their time or their dollars or they decide that they need to live here and move here that that um, that that affinity um, exists because it helps me as a person and I think for some of the locals too to kind of put things into perspective and go wow if someone that isn't from here sees the value how can I not so it's a great wake-up call that the people that aren't from here provide for the locals. I remember when I was a kid, my first job was working at some sporting camps that were within walkable distance from where I lived. And they were families, of course, that would come up for two or three weeks with their kids. And so they became our friend base because we lived, you know, not in an area where there were a lot of kids. And those kids as adults still are in awe and still come back here with their families to this day because it holds such a special memory for them. And I remember laying on docks in the middle of the summertime and looking up at the stars and having them just be so blown away. And you're like, wow, yeah, cool. <laughs> these, these are stars. Yeah. Um, but it's like, wow, seeing it through their eyes is just amazing. You know, they were from Philadelphia and Boston and Baltimore and they were just blown away and you were like wow you know as kids especially to be in those middle school years where you you know all of a sudden realize wow I'm not the center of the universe (laughs) it just this region just provides everybody with that that awe-inspiring moment yeah and do you have other moments that you remember from your childhood where you really realized how special this place was or did that kind of come after traveling as you said and being away I think it does come from being away, but I do remember as a kid um, just having that that freedom. Like, no, when I grew up here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to sound like an old person, but when I grew <laughs> up, you know, going inside meant that someone was going to give you a chore to do. So as soon as you were up and, and, and got that requirement out of the way, you were outside. And you weren't really expected back until dinner time. And so it gave you this great freedom to explore, which is a great thing to take with you as an adult because then you want to travel the world and also explore. And I do think you have to move away from it or go away from it for a period of time to really see this, 
the specialness and the uniqueness. Not everybody has that opportunity to leave and come back. So we really trust those visitors to come and cherish the experience so that, so that they can see how unique it is as well. I know you said you wear a lot of hats and are involved in a lot of different things. What are some of the most rewarding parts of your job? Well, I think it's probably twofold. One has to, I mean, definitely has to be being able to take people outdoors. I mean, when you can take someone outside and see the look on their face, when you show them something that you think is unique and special, um, that's really one of the best. That's one of the best things. I think the other thing that I do is that I'm able to volunteer my services and my skills and some of the resources that AMC has to help bolster and strengthen the organizations that are here, make them more robust. That really came, it really became very clear during COVID. AMC had an amazing COVID team that just, you know, had their finger on the pulse of everything that was happening and was able to create frameworks to be successful in both keeping their employees safe but also still being able to provide a really a much needed outdoor respite from the from the covidness and that was a, a resource that a lot of these small businesses and local organizations just didn't have they didn't have the bandwidth they were trying to keep their businesses afloat and so to be able to reach out and and kind of keep businesses and organizations up to date that was just an amazing gift that AMC provided to this region. Those two things, being able to take people outdoors and really being able to help the region fundamentally through something that was really hard and really complicated and, uh, and really time consumptive during a time when businesses just needed to try to stay open and, and stay safe. So that was really, that was really rewarding and, and was huge. Um, so I guess that brings me to thinking about trail running and your big event coming up. How long have you been trail running? So, well, I've, uh, I've always had to balance injuries. So I've always gone through my life being like, okay, this, you know, I look back and say, this was the, this is the mountain bike, road bike section of my life until that injury. And then I did this <laughs> until that injury cropped up. Oh and now when you get to be a certain age, you're like, everything's been been well utilized in different ways so I mm. I I used to run but then I became a hiker and then someone said oh well if you're a trail runner you hike some of it and you run other sections of it and I was like this is great and so it kind of evolved and this particular event I was drawn to because I've always been really good going uphill but not so strong coming downhill so all my mountain bike friends will know and testify to that, that I might be able to beat them up the hill, but then they would like just barrel down <laughs> past me on the downhill. Um, so the great thing about this event that I'm doing with my friend Karen Tilburg, who's the executive director of Forest Society of Maine, we are doing what's called a 29029 Eversting event where we are going to be hiking uphill and taking a gondola down and continuing the uphill until we've achieved 29,029 feet and they give us 36 hours to do that in. So, wow. But I think it's going to be easier on my knees, which yeah. are a little bit broken. Okay. <laughs> so, so and this event is in Utah. It is. They have other events in the US. They've got one in Idaho, one in Vermont, and uh I wanted to do this with Karen. Actually was scheduled to do the Vermont one in 2020 and that went virtual, which was great. I did 
50 miles in 20 hours and that was my event but excited to do the actual event in two weeks oh two my weeks. gosh and so will you go out early to get acclimated well there's two schools of thought on that some say just come and surprise your body and go and don't think too much about it but we're going to take the other approach and make a little bit of a vacation out of it and so we're going to go okay. early and put our feet up and wait for the start <laughs> yeah oh my gosh <laughs> And so what has your training looked like for that? So I believe we're on week, we're on week 18? We're on week 18. And they actually supply you in two week increments the workout that they recommend you do. Right. So as you can imagine, a lot of hiking, a lot of uh, running, a lot of walking, a lot of cross training, but all at a really uh, manageable all day heart rate. Mm. So sometimes it just feels like I mean it always feels like you're working but you're never really working that hard mm. I don't know I'll let you know if it all works out for me because okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like I'm not going hard enough this doesn't feel like it's hard enough but I'm trusting the trainer that you work with in order to okay. be successful so oh that's cool so you on this particular ski slope you hike up 2.3 miles and you accumulate, uh, it's like 2,100 oh. feet of elevation gain. Okay. So, and we'll be doing it 13 times. Yeah, oh my gosh. Get it. So it's fairly, yeah, it's fairly steep. Yeah, very steep. If you've hiked Big Moose Mountain, it's, it's a, equivalent to what you, obviously it's shorter, but if you think of percentage of inclination from the ranger station to the top. So if okay. you've done it before, Damn that's it. really the, the aggressive section in there. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's... It's, wow. pretty, it's pretty that's steep. That's so exciting. Yeah, that is a, that's a huge challenge. That is very impressive. And so you mentioned canoeing. So what are some other ways that you like to enjoy the outdoors in Maine? Well, you know, sometimes it's just kicking back with a book in the hammock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there are days like that. Yeah. <laughs> you need some after yep. this training. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm just asked to drive the boat while my husband fishes. So there's that <laughs> as well. I mean, I think I've probably touched them on them all, really. It's about yeah. getting outdoors. I'm definitely drawn to those places where my body can take me. So mm -hmm. whether it be in a canoe or on foot or on a bike, that definitely has always been much more intriguing because I really like to see where my body can take me, where my mind can take me. For me, if I'm gonna move myself along a trail, I wanna do it. I, I wanna do it without the engine. I wanna be the engine. I love to, now that we have all these interesting little electronic devices, I love to th throw up, you know, a pin in a map and hike to it. I mean, in the spring and April, everybody hates April. It's my favorite time of year really? because the snow settles and you can really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's really a lot of fun. And sometimes I'll just throw the, you know, I'll throw the pin at home and I'll be like, okay, just drop me off here and I'll find my way home. It it really affords you to go places that are totally off trail, and you can see the coolest things when you're out there. So wow. that's a lot of fun. But you know, hiking, yeah. running, biking, you know, just general exploring. I mean, those those days that kind of harken back to how it was when I was a kid, where you would just go out and play, and that sometimes meant let's go see where this stream goes or this tree has a great branch. Let's see how high we can climb up it. So 
I'm not sure if kids have that opportunity anymore today to just have that freedom to go and explore and learn. I think that was probably the most formative part of growing up here was just that freedom. And even today, I mean, obviously I'm training for this event, but even without that, who I am really needs to be outdoors, just sometimes wandering around, not having a plan, but just seeing where your feet take you has really it's been important to, you know, my emotional and physical health, just to have that time out there. So uh, I, think, I think more people should, should try it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so that makes me, th- oh, sorry, were you gonna say something? No, I'm just okay. so bummed out by all the traffic noise that's oh, gonna be in the background. Uh, I know. I'm thinking, not, should we hike up over the next little we could, mound? Yeah. Because it might, it, it's on the, it's not very far. Okay, let's do that. Let's try sure. it. Just thought of something really good to share, but I'm gonna hold it in. Okay, okay. <laughs> I love the way this part smells too. Oh my smell gosh, the trees. me too. Birds over here. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, you can hear the birds. Yeah, great. Maybe I'll call some in. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Have you ever been with anyone that's called in birds? No. Okay, so I used to. I knew how to do this because I, when I was in my twenties, there was a young lady that came up that was interning with the University of North Carolina. She was studying birds, and she was like, she taught me this great trick. And then later on, when I came to work at AMC, Walter Graff, who is now retired from AMC, but just an amazing man, taught me how to do it. He'd like to take credit for teaching me how to do it, but I really (laughs) did already know how to do it. (laughs) Okay. how he's getting agitated so the wishing sound is oops he's getting curious though he's in it's a from what I gather it's a a bird in distress and so the other birds are curious now if you'll notice the birds that were over here left like they must have been like don't go over there that guy's in trouble but this one over here is curious how he's getting a little panicked with his yeah. it's more rapid location a lot because then after a while the birds are like 
Well, that's a dangerous place, so I don't want to hang out there. Oh, so that sound is a, distressing them. It is. Okay. Yeah, and they'll come in because they're curious to see exactly what's happening because for them, they're thinking, oh, somebody's in trouble over there. And it works with, like, most types of birds. Yeah. And like I said, I know, I know how to do it, but I don't know all the intricacies of the emotional status as to why <laughs> these birds are, like, doing what they're doing, but it works. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That is so cool. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure having lived here for so long, you've had many interesting wildlife encounters. <laughs> <laughs> any, any favorite stories? Well, I had one just recently okay. that really makes me feel special, so I'll share this one. But I was out for a trail run in a little moose unit, not in this section, but another section. And I was running along and there was this, my favorite section of the trail. I'm like, oh, here it comes. This is my favorite section. But I noticed that there were a bunch of chickadees that were very alarmed and they seemed really close to the, to the trail tread. I was like, wow, what's, that's odd. Like I've been, I've been through this section of trail so many times that I've never heard birds here. I was like, who, who knew that there was such a large population of chickadees in this area and I rounded the corner and came up and I was like they were they were so close to my head there was some softwood branches that went over the top of my head probably three or four feet up and uh, so I was looking at the birds thinking oh maybe I'll see a nest maybe I'll see the birds like why are they so chatty and then I looked ahead on the trail and there was a pine martin in the middle of the trail and I kept, which is often the case because I've seen bobcat and other things, that I've really had to like stop the excitement and really kind of rationalize through it and identify and make sure and be clear, like am I seeing what I'm seeing? Like is it, could it be anything else? Because it would be so rare to see a pine martin that close in the middle of the day. And I was like, it's not a beaver. I looked at his tail. I'm not, it's like, I'm not an unusually large squirrel. <laughs> it's definitely not a fisher. And then it was, you know, once I'd done all that in my head, it was just stand there and enjoy it and realize how special and unique this is. And it wasn't until after he just kind of, you know, got bored with me, which seemed like an eternity, he scampered off, that the rest of the, the trail hike was about why was he there? What was he doing? What That was so unusual. What could it be? And I'm just imagining that at some point he had either agitated the birds, had a had a baby was trying to get to a nest or something and that the community of chickadees had kind of rallied around to scare him away and I wow. was I just had great timing so that was yeah. that was a pretty recent and unique experience yeah for sure that's so cool yeah I've never never seen one of those definitely <laughs> it was pretty cool <laughs> but really I mean cool. there are others I've been in a kayak on the lake when a community of loon just popped up around me oh, so I wow. had you know a dozen or so loons so close to me before so I've you know and I've had eagles swoop down over my uh, my head when I was in a canoe before so I've definitely had some special experiences. Do you want to talk at all about the dark sky? The dark sky park is here right? Yeah so the International Dark Sky Association to bring attention to light pollution that's global they created a dark sky place program where different regions 
different frameworks of society can apply for dark sky designation. And so the Appalachian Mountain Club applied for dark sky park status. They had an incredibly dark core. They did the work to make sure that all of the lighting on their park ownership or their land ownership um, was within compliance. We had some great partner projects and we've got a really robust astronomy education program that happens at our lodges, at our lodges and in the communities. So because of this, we were awarded this designation. But for a lot of people, when I talk to them about the dark sky park designation, they don't think of it so much about the important conservation aspect of it. You know, they're thinking about that first time they saw the stars, or perhaps they got engaged or fell in love under the stars, or perhaps they were doing something else and just happened to look up incidentally and see the stars. But it's really all more about that emotional connection to the stars that they recall. But it's amazing how intertwined the dark skies are to the health of the landscape or the health of the earth. Mm. I think we as people have, we're, we're designed to have those light and dark rhythms as part of our life and our health. And you know, up until the last, I don't know, 70, 80 years or so, that dictated everything, really. We went to bed when it was dark and we woke up when it was light. We harvested by the cycles of the moon. So our entire being and, and how we lived on Earth was really around Mother Nature's light and dark periods. And what we've been able to do now is really we can, we can create daylight 24 hours a day. And I think for a lot of people, it's framed their life in a way that perhaps isn't natural. And so because of that, we've kind of messed with um, hibernation patterns, leaf patterns of, of trees when they leaf out. So I think humans have lost touch with those natural rhythms and patterns of life. And now they're finding out that scientifically, it also can affect your health as well. So I think that the state kind of has its eye on the dark skies as well. And mm -hmm. it would be great to be able to really be a leader there's a lot of dark skies in the western part of the U.S., mm -hmm. but when you look at the more populated, more densely populated regions of the east, this is the last dark sky. And it's, so it, it, it's great to be able to conserve the dark sky above AMC's ownership, but the reality is the dark sky is well beyond that, and yeah. we need to be looking at ways that we can all work together. To be honest, it's really easy. <laughs> And it's immediately gratifying. You know, we live in an age where things are instant. Like you Google it or you throw in the microwave and things can happen really quickly now. And with the dark sky conservation, it's like if you remove the pollutant, 100% of the natural resource returns immediately. Yeah. So you turn off the light and there are the stars. And so it's a really easy reach. It's something that people can do in their own homes, in their own lives. It doesn't feel like there's a huge cost you know, like all of a sudden I, I can't drive my car yeah. or, you know, this, it, it's just like I'm just going to turn off this light. I, I don't need this on or I'm going to put a timer on it or a motion sensor on it. So it only comes on when I need it. So it's not really, it's not that much of a reach yeah. to do this powerful work. The birds need it. The fireflies need it. The hibernators, the plants that want to blossom on a schedule that revolves around natural light, not artificial light. They they all need it, and so it's it's something easy we can do. I think the last thing I really wanted to ask you about was kind of like the changes, both positive and, and negative, that you've seen over the time that you've been here, and then also what direction you want this place and also like the state 
to move in or changes you'd hope to see in the future? Well, I think like anything else, it's finding that point of balance. I think that economic development is, is necessary, but we also have to be mindful of what we're seeking to benefit from and making sure that that isn't diminished in such a way that the benefit is diminished as well. This region is an amazingly beautiful area and there's been a lot of great conservation work done. I think there's still more that can be done. I do think that there are successful models out there and I think AMC is one of them that has been able to model how you can balance recreation, lodging, great educational programs, forestry. I think there's a way that you can encompass that into a landscape and do it in a way that can actually be complementary. And I think it just takes people being mindful of the fact that resources are not infinite and that what we choose to amplify and share, we have to just make sure that we're also conserving it because nobody's we want people to come here and fall in love with it I mean that's what allows us the resources in many cases to conserve it and who doesn't want to be able to share this with people because we fundamentally know the value of it and uh, so it it should be shared but we just have to be mindful that that doesn't mean providing access to everyone to every inch of it sometimes that means protecting it as well so it's really, it's all about balance. And sometimes that means compromise and sometimes that can be super challenging. Yeah. But I think if you've got smart people that are kind and respectful and can work together, I do think there's always a place that you can find common ground. Maybe I'm a little bit of an optimist. I, I don't know. But I still think it's out there. Yeah. I still think we still have an ability to, um, just to make sure that this amazing place provides amazing recreational opportunities but that we're we're mindful of of where we put that and how big we let it be i would like to be optimistic as well i would like to <laughs> i like your optimism yeah well i mean if i were going to be selfish which i know i can't be i'd want it to stay the same yeah but i've been alive long enough to know that even even not wanting it to change or not doing anything to change it, change still happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that we all owe it to this region to step into that arena and have our voice heard and listen to other voices and really create a masterful approach that is respectful and kind to the, to the earth as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for taking me out here. This is lovely. Well, you need to come back. There's okay. a lot more places to explore. <laughs> okay. You go about two miles down the trail and there's, and I'm a little bit of a, a nerd when it comes to this, but I love to find crazy big rocks in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and there's this rock. It's about two That's miles so cool. out there that it's amazing. It's the most amazing rock. Thanks for listening to A Talk in the Woods. For more conversations about Maine's land, water, and people, check out other episodes, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a product of the Maine Mountain Collaborative, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about our mission, visit mainemountaincollaborative.org.